What's up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you're having a fantastic Wednesday. Welcome back to The Philip DeFranco Show, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing I'll briefly mention is uh, to everyone that has been sending me photos of the black hole, yes, I've seen it. I know that about over a decade ago, I mentioned I had a random, irrational fear of roaming black holes. You don't have to send me black hole news every single day. Although, I will say, unlike every link that has been sent to me over the past decade, this one was actually interesting. Because this morning, scientists unveiled the first ever photograph of a black hole, which, as it turns out, kinda looks like the O in the hero's Reborn logo. But what I'll add here is if you, if you really want to nerd out, I'll, I'll provide some links down below and how they did this. I mean, they said it took over 200 people, radio, tele, uh, yeah, just you, you check it out in the links down below. Every now and then it's nice to take a break from looking around the world and being like, wow, people, people really disappoint me. To be able to appreciate the work of, of people working towards a common goal and providing something awesome like this. But that said, going right from appreciating people back to being disappointed about people, let's, uh, uh. So Nipsey Hussle, of course, the, the rapper that we've talked about several times who was gunned down, a man who was praised not only for his music, but his message, what he was trying to do for his community. And to honor the life of this man, there were free tickets for Nipsey Hussle's public memorial. It sold out quickly Tuesday morning, of course, and scalpers tried to resell them, some even going for as much as $1,000. But here's the thing about the tickets. They were only available to California your residence with a four ticket limit per person. And the company that's responsible for the authentic ticket distribution access, they said they're cracking down on scalpers and counterfeit tickets, saying that the tickets can only be distributed exclusively via the company's mobile app and are non-transferable. So keep that in mind if you're one of the people that has bought or has been thinking about buying these tickets. And these tickets have been popping up in places like eBay and Craigslist, but the companies are actually making efforts to stop these transactions. eBay, for example, said these listings violated several of their policies. One, it violated a policy that the company has against the sale of free tickets. And two, eBay has what they call a human tragedy policy which prohibits sellers from profiting from tragedy or suffering. Like trying to profit off an event that was meant to be free for community leaders and fans to say one final goodbye. But also on that note, in addition to the memorial service at the Staples Center, reportedly there's also going to be a funeral procession, specifically a 25.5 mile funeral procession that will take place through Inglewood, South Los Angeles, and Watts. Hopefully those that were screwed out of tickets can still pay their respects. Also, if you're going to the event, please be careful. With the tickets being scalped, being non-transferable, there there might be a, a number of people being denied at the door and who knows what'll happen happened there. Which kind of on that note, it brings me to the final point. To the people scalping these tickets, uh, you are utter trash. And that is why today, you are our douchebags of the day. And then, wow, 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 let's talk about an update to a story we recently covered around Jeffree Star. And if you're unfamiliar, Jeffree Star, immensely popular, especially in the makeup community, also an entrepreneur with a massively successful company. And earlier this month, we covered how Jeffree revealed that $2.5 million worth of product was stolen from his warehouse in California. And in that video, we discussed the robbery. He talked about how he was working with law enforcement to track down the culprit, so he suspects or black market makeup sellers. And after the robbery, as we talked about, there were listings of stolen goods that appeared on social media sites like Facebook. But that situation has changed. It has evolved with fans finding Jeffrey's product at their local Burlington. Right, these seemingly stolen products, not, not popping up just on some random internet page, not in the back of someone's trunk, at an actual store. The thing is, Jeffrey's joked about discount retailers like Burlington being a makeup graveyard for some brands. So when his products all of a sudden appeared on Burlington's shelves, fans reached out with questions. People asking Jeffrey, can we expect more product at these discount stores? To which Jeffrey responded that not only was it sadly stolen, but it was expired. Writing, note the old style shade label on top. We had those in a destroy pile before they were taken. Adding, my lawyer is dealing with it and finding out how and why Burlington would ever allow this. Soon after, Jeffrey took to Snapchat to kind of further expand on this point. How did Bur Burlington allow stolen items to be sold in any of their stores. Like, bitch, this ain't Marshalls and TJ Maxx. My brand isn't, like, not doing well, so I gotta, like, 
sell some to someone else. Bitch, this is stolen items and they're actually expired and not even good to use. Then making sure to warn fans to avoid making these kinds of purchases, reminding people that the only physical stores that you can get his products in the United States are Morphe stores. But that wasn't the end of it because since Jeffrey was talking about this, other social media users began telling him that they were finding his products at their local stores. Some even saying they found them at other retailers like Marshall's, to which Marshall's quickly responded asking for the location. Also after being hit with a ton of backlash from Jeffrey and his fans, Burlington responded to Jeffrey on social media saying it was quote, committed to selling only authentic, authorized and legally sourced product in our store. They're investigating the matter and that they have discontinued sales of these products and are immediately pulling remaining units from our stores. To which Jeffrey responded by thanking them. So that's where we are now. And, and it's just left me wondering how much theft happens in this industry. Also, where are these legitimate retail stores getting their product that they're buying stolen product? Because it feels like at some point or at several points in the process, you're gonna find people that either are knowingly breaking the law and buying stolen product, or there's just mass ignorance and in the chaos that is retail. I don't know, I'm fascinated to see what comes from these investigations. Then let's talk about the latest on the measles outbreak in New York. The last time we talked about this, we focused on Rockland County, which declared a temporary state of emergency due to an outbreak in the area and banned unvaccinated minors from public spaces. And now what we're seeing is that New York City is taking similar steps with Mayor Bill de Blasio declaring a public health emergency. And that's because there have been 285 confirmed cases of measles in the city since October. And to kind of give you a frame of reference for how high that number is, in 2017, there were only two cases of measles in New York City. And the outbreak that we're talking about is most severe in Brooklyn, specifically in the Williamsburg neighborhood. And so de Blasio is mandating that everyone in four different zip codes in and near Williamsburg get the MMR vaccine, which prevents measles and is 97% effective. Or if you don't, you pay a $1,000 fine for being unvaccinated. And during a press conference, de Blasio insisted that this measles outbreak is severe and that vaccinations are the only way to stop it. We cannot allow this dangerous disease to make a comeback here in New York City. We have to stop it now. The only way to stop this outbreak is to ensure that those who have not been vaccinated get the vaccine. Uh, it's crucial for people to understand the measles vaccine works. It is safe, it is effective, it is time tested. Also, as we've seen with other occurrences, there is a religious element at play. The outbreak is the worst in the Orthodox Jewish community in Williamsburg, specifically among children, which on that note, back in December, the city actually mandated that schools, daycares, and yeshivas, which are Orthodox Jewish schools, have to turn away kids who are not vaccinated. And what we ended up seeing is that 40 measles patients alone have come from just one yeshiva that did not follow this order. According to Dr. Oksiri Barbo, the commissioner for New York City's Department of Health, leaders in the Orthodox Jewish community actually largely approve of vaccines, but the movement to choose to not vaccinate children has still spread. Dr. Barbo is saying in a statement, this outbreak is being fueled by a small group of anti-vaxxers in these neighborhoods. They've been spreading dangerous misinformation based on fake science. We stand with the majority of people in this community who have worked hard to protect their children and those at risk. And we also saw Dr. Barbo speaking out against measles parties, which health officials are concerned are becoming popular among those who don't want to vaccinate their kids. And if you're unfamiliar about the concept of a measles party, it's when parents with unvaccinated children expose their child to a kid who already has measles. And this was a popular practice before vaccines were widespread, as many think that by exposing their child to the disease, they will build their immunity. But, da 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 da, that has actually not been scientifically proven to be effective. And this can actually just result in your child getting the measles, as the disease is highly contagious. Now, all of that said, as far as how New York City officials plan on actually enforcing this vaccination mandate, there are a lot of moving parts. But one main strategy will be the use of, quote, disease detectives from the CDC. To which you might ask, 
What is a disease detective? Is Sherlock Holmes on the case of the stupid fucking parent? The answer is, yeah, kind of. I mean, not Sherlock Holmes. You know, as the CDC describes them on their site, like investigators at the scene of a crime, these disease detectives begin by looking for clues. And they then work to answer four questions. Who is sick? What are their symptoms? When did they get sick? Where could they have been exposed to the cause of the illness? From there, they try to learn who else has been exposed to the disease and make sure that these people have been vaccinated. And all this information will help doctors and other health officials monitor and control the spread of the illness. Now, that said, this plan to prevent the spread of measles has been met with mixed opinions. Donna Lieberman, the executive director of the New York Civil Liberties Union, questioned whether or not this was within Mayor de Blasio's power, writing, the city's order provides that people will be vaccinated without their consent, an extreme measure which is not provided for in the law and raises civil liberties concerns about forced medical treatment. In addressing this public health crisis, the government is required to pursue the least restrictive means possible to balance individual autonomy with the public health risk. In this case, measures such as quarantine or penalties for non-vaccination may be permissible, but forced vaccination is not. But in response to that point, a spokeswoman for City Hall, Marcy Miranda, told the New York Times, we will not be forcibly vaccinating individuals. Officials will work with people to educate them about the safety and importance of vaccines and will issue necessary fines as needed. And de Blasio maintained his right to make this move, saying we are absolutely certain we have the power to do this. As far as my personal opinion, I've been over placating people just disregarding mountains of evidence against their point. Find the idiot parents and hope that the overwhelming amount of research and information, it, it bleeds to the children, the youth. Right in stories we talked about in the past of kids getting themselves vaccinated even though their parents didn't want to. And if the willful ignorance of the anti-vax movement wasn't enough, the, the thing that really just bothers me, their mindset that they're the victims of this situation. I've seen examples popping up more and more of people in the anti-vax movement comparing this to the Holocaust. I don't even, what dangerous idiots we're dealing with. And then let's talk about something we've been tracking for a little while now, and that is the election in Israel. If you'd like to see our previous coverage, I'll link to our deep dive down below. We kind of an oversimplified TLDR to bring you up to speed. Back in February, Israel's attorney general announced that he intended to indict Netanyahu for bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. And intended there is the key word, because in order for charges to actually be brought against Bibi, he had to have a hearing first. And unsurprisingly around this, Bibi requested that the hearing happen after the election because he was worried evidence could leak to the media and affect public opinion. We then saw the justice ministry agree, saying that the hearing should take place no later than July 10. And as far as the charges in question against Bibi, they come from three different cases. One case alleging that Bibi illegally accepted $264,000 worth of gifts from tycoons in exchange for lobbying. And the other two claiming that Bibi traded favors to get positive news coverage from an Israeli newspaper and a website. The prime minister, of course, has denied the allegations, notably calling them fake news. And despite all of these cases, these scandals, he has remained incredibly popular in Israel. He and his Likud party have just dominated Israeli politics for the last decade. But, you know, before this election, following the announcement of the indictments, a newly formed opposition party called the Blue and White Party and its leader Benny Gantz started to gain popularity in the polls. I mention that because it brings us to yesterday's Israeli election. On Tuesday night, with about 97% of polls in, preliminary exit polls showed Bibi and Gantz in a dead heat, with both parties each receiving 35 out of a total 120 seats in Israel's parliament. And last night, before all the polls were in, we saw both men declaring victory. Gantz calling it a historic vote, calling for Netanyahu to step aside, Bibi taking to Twitter to call it a definite victory. And so as far as what happens now, well, as we noted before, both parties each got 35 out of 120 seats in the Knesset. So what about those other 50 seats? Neither party won an outright majority, which is common in Israeli elections. And in this case, a group of right-wing parties that are expected to back Bibi have already won a total of 65 seats, which means if they all join to back Bibi as predicted, he will have a majority over the center-left bloc. And actually, as we were recording this, the news broke that Gantz has now conceded the election. Although the polls still show the parties tied with 35 seats, Gantz acknowledged that the blue and white party did not have enough votes, saying, quote, at the moment with the blocks, this is the reality. But also adding, the war is not over. So now Bibi will have 42 days to build a 
coalition of parties to get that 61 seat majority. And it seems likely that he'll be able to do that pretty easily. And although Bibi is essentially guaranteed to be prime minister, he's also coming out of this election significantly weathered and with less support from the Israeli people. So with all of that said, what does another term for him mean? Well, regardless of how many seats Netanyahu ultimately gets, this election is being considered a major setback for him and the Likud party. And this new blue and white party is now positioned to be the main opposition party to the right wing, a role that had previously been held by the Labour Party. And although Bibi will still very likely be prime minister, he is coming out of this election significantly weathered and with less support from the Israeli people. And aside from what we've talked about, there are two main things to look out for moving forward. The first, of course, is the future of the indictments. The evidence from those cases which the prime minister has to be kept under lock and key until after the election, they will now be given over to the lawyers in the case. And this means that if some of the evidence is leaked, Bibi could face reports that could hurt his reputation in the 42 days he has to assemble a majority government. Now that said, if he does succeed in building a majority, he is expected to try and pass a law that would give him immunity from being prosecuted while in office. But a big thing to consider is even if that law doesn't get passed, he gets indicted, he doesn't legally have to step down. But if he is indicted on criminal charges, his coalition could fracture and he could lose his majority, which in turn could lead to a new Likud prime minister or even entirely new elections. And the second thing to look out for concerns Bibi's last minute campaign promise to annex Jewish settlements in the West Bank. It is really hard to overstate how massive a deal this move would be. If Israel annexes the West Bank, they would be asserting their control over land that most countries consider land legally owned by the Palestinians. It's also a move that is largely considered to be illegal under international law and a move that it's believed would immediately destroy Israel's relations with many countries. This including Arab dictatorships that have been working with Israel against Iran, which of course could create a huge crisis for Israel in the Middle East. Most significantly, it's believed that this move would be catastrophic for the Palestinians. And it would certainly represent the strongest rejection of a two-state solution by an Israeli prime minister in recent history, with Palestinian leaders calling it a vote for oppression. And to make matters even more high stakes, the future indictments and the annexation could be connected. It's possible that Bibi could promise the far-right parties that want to annex the West Bank that the annexation will happen if they vote in favor of an immunity bill. And so if that happens, Bibi could not only be protected from facing charges, he could also turn a temporary occupation of Palestinian land into a sovereign part of Israel permanently. But a big thing to understand with all of this is there is a lot up in the air. We're gonna have to wait to see what actually happens. But yeah, this is gonna be fascinating to watch. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this or any of the other stories we covered today. And that's where we're going to end today's show. If you liked the video before you leave, be sure to hit that like button. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe. Also, if you missed the last Philip DeFranco show or deep dive you wanna catch up, you can click or tap right there to watch those. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow two times.